it is simply like basically programming your subconscious. And what happens when you program your subconscious like that is that you start seeing things and knowing that it's for you. This is not a story about coping with change, but anticipating it. And so I would describe Helene's approach to her life and career as completely intentional. And what's so on about that is that she has a clear perspective on the future and a conviction that if she can visualize it with sufficient clarity, her every decision and action will lead her there. Hello, that was the voice of Dick Van Motman, founder of Unventures, and this is Unthinkable, the podcast from Unventures that shares stories of unorthodox thinking to give you a new perspective on work, life, and business. In this show, I, Neil Moore, talk to rule breakers, decision makers, and innovators about the unthinkable decisions they've made that changed the fate of their careers, businesses, and maybe even our world. Today, I'm joined by Helen Blanchett, who I know from her time heading marketing for Fuji Xerox in Singapore, a fairly conservative company in a very conservative country. She eventually became global vice president, but shortly thereafter made the unthinkable decision to jump off the corporate carousel and become president of MyJane, the cunningly named female wellness brand based out of California, whose products are made from marijuana. Hi, Helen. Thanks for joining me. Hi, nice to see you. Did I get everything right there? Actually, almost. Okay. Um, it, the products are made from cannabis, which is a family of plant, but our products are made from hemp. So we do CBD products that are made from hemp. So therefore, in the family of cannabis, you have the marijuana plant, which has the THC component of it, and you have the hemp plant that does not contain THC so there's no possibility of getting a high effect from it. And this keeps you on the right side of the law I take it? Exactly that <laughs> keeps me on the right side of the law. It's fully legal to have hemp products in the United States and Good. in many countries actually. Good to know. I'm recording this in Singapore and I've got to make sure, you know, they're, they're pretty harsh about this stuff around here. Um, so I, I always um, start with the same question, which is you were doing extremely well in the uh, world of corporate marketing. You were working for Fuji Xerox, um, global vice president. You'd hit, you know, pretty much the top of the tree in, in marketing there. Um, and then you made what I think many will believe to be an unthinkable decision to jump ship join a, uh, I don't know if it was a young company, but I know it wasn't a large company, um, and in a you know, quite different area of business, some would say a little controversial, what was the reason or the motivation for making that huge career change? Mm. Yes, it was indeed a huge career change. Uh, however, I did challenge myself a few times in my life, and it always paid off. So I don't fear perhaps change anymore as much as I used to. And I'm one of those who always face their fear. So <laughs> every five years I retreat myself completely from the world and I rethink on um, what I want to do next, where I want to be, so that, I, that my life is not just a huge hurricane that, you know, you end up on the other side <laughs> at one point and you wonder what got, got you there. And every five years I, 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 I write what I want and I put it in an envelope and I open it five years later and miraculously, miraculously uh, I'm always where I want it. 
And um, I knew that I was tired from the large corporate world. And, and although I was just more successful and more successful, um, I, I knew that I was sort of cherishing the, the idea of a long time ago when it was to be in a small company and in, in, in a, a sort of a startup mode and family kind of atmosphere. And I, I really liked that thought that was coming back to me all the time. And I thought, if I'm going to actually do an, a big, bold step, an unthinkable step of leaving my, my comfortable career, and what would I want? And I put it down that I wanted to be in an industry and in growth. I wanted to um, lead the company so that I can shape it into the vision I would like to have the company going forward to. And I wanted to be uh, something that had to be in, with helping women because I've always tried to help women along the way in my life. And um, a place where I could also bring the charity that I had selected, which was International Sanctuary. And they are helping women that are rescued from human trafficking and empowering them to have a life after. And, uh, and to me, it's, if it needed to meet those few criterias. And then, by coincidence, I, uh, I had this uh, opportunity of, uh, you know, having people uh, around me that were in the cannabis industry. And, and it, to me, it was a complete discovery. Uh, obviously, living in Singapore for nine years, I was completely... Um, I would say blind on what was going on in the world of cannabis and the rest of the planet and realized that uh, a lot of products had been made that were very medicinal, very plant-based medicine that was extraordinary in their benefit. And, and as I learned that, um, I suffer myself from insomnia, for instance, and, and, and there's uh, all kinds of uh, uh, beautiful uh, oil extract that you can take that helps you relax and remove, you know, anxious thoughts and helps you sleep. So all of that I discovered through that, that, uh, that um, there was a lot of, of, of by, I would say, byproducts that were made and that were very beneficial. So I got curious and I started to put my nose in my, my, my friend's business and, and giving them advice because I thought this industry is, is amazing, but at the same time, it's not shaped. It's still very wild west and it's not shaped into corporations. I, I kept on giving them ideas and giving them ideas and I would do this differently. They would do this differently. And I just kept on, on putting my corporate nose into it. And then about a year later, there was an opportunity where they had made an acquisition and it was not doing well because of all kinds of different um, reasons. And they parted with the uh, original founder and president of the company and, and turned around and said, would you do the unthinkable? And I did. Well, that's my next question is about how you practically make the shift. And I want to know two things. I want to know about this five-year retreat. That sounds like mm -hmm. something that I should be doing or should have done by now. And the second thing is, obviously, when you go from being the global vice president um, of a large corporation 
Um, you have a large team underneath mm -hmm. you. You have people to assist yes. you. You have budgets that you can access that have been in place for decades. Um, yes. Not all people within those large corporate structures can adjust to being in a smaller business where everything isn't at the tip of their fingers, where they don't have a huge budget to play with. So can you tell me how you made the shift, both what the five-year retreat was about and then practically how did you cope with being in a very different scale of company? Mm, and still coping with it. Right. So, <laughs> um, I, I, well, first of all, the five years. Um, I've been doing this for 30 years uh, now. And um, what I do is I cut myself from um, really emails, phones, uh, family, and I go somewhere in the world, usually a spa, so that I can accelerate the process of denoising myself and detoxing myself from everything we accumulate through our daily lives, right? All the thoughts, all the things that make you stop doing things or not see things or just because the noise is constantly fighting in your mind of the things you have to do and the things you have to care for and the, and, and the stressors. So there's so many things that we're exposed to on a daily basis that unless that I cut myself completely from everything so that I denoise myself, is really important. So I've been doing that for 30 years, every five years. And I even have a routine where, you know, the first three days, I just have four hours of massage and treatment a day just to break it down and to relax as quick as possible, because even there, I need to do it fast. Um, and then uh, the fifth day, I really look at what stayed. Once I remove all the noise, all the, I would say, impurity that makes me sometimes uh, make the wrong decisions or not make a decision, and what's left that is so solid in me that are things I always wanted to do or things I wish to do or, or things that should be done and and then what really sticks and then from that base i write um, a letter to myself in five years and i have accomplished all the things that were left and that i wanted to do and i and i give myself a roadmap of how come i've succeeded that and what surrounds me and who's with me and 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 uh, what do i do and what am i proud of and how did I accomplish that and I seal it and I open it five years later and I never remember after a year you just like vaguely remember a few things you put in that letter but it is simply like basically programming your subconscious and what happens when you program your subconscious like that is that you start seeing things and knowing that it's for you I'll give you an example. How I ended up in Singapore was as simple as going to uh, Biarritz in France in the spa and retreat and then saying, I would love to discover Asia, but not just on a trip, on a trip of three weeks, but really knowing the cultures, getting to know what is what are the different cultures? How do they think? How do they live? How do they do business? Because it was a side of the world that I had never been to. I had traveled so intensively in Europe and United States and in Canada, where I come from, but never in Asia. So I put that and I had given myself a couple of years to find the job that would bring me to Asia and then perhaps work there for a couple of years. And then about two months after that, 
I had written that in my letter. I was on the auto route uh, going to an airport again, and then I got a call from someone that says, we uh, are from Singapore and we've been following your career and um, wanted to know if you would be willing to do a very bold move and move to Asia. And I looked up and I said, absolutely. I didn't even know what job it was, but I knew it was for me. And then from then on, <laughs> I could not have thought about it and, and planned it. And it comes to me on a silver plate, right? From then on, I had so many things that happened to me from that moment where I said, absolutely, I will go to the day I departed, which is six months later. Everything could happen to stop me from doing that happened, but I broke down all the barriers because I knew that this was a chapter I had to go and write. And I ended up staying nine years, and it was certainly one of the best chapters I've written. I love the idea of programming your subconscious so that when that call comes, if that call comes, you, you don't have to think about it. You've, you've already made that decision that you're going to get to Asia somehow, so when the opportunity arises, it's an absolute no-brainer to do it. Um, I also further love the idea of doing that in a spa and beer ritz. I think this is my, my key <laughs> takeaway from this. <laughs> so then you go and join this um, company, which was um, a lot smaller than, than what you'd been previously working yeah. with, um, had mm -hmm. you know, lost its sort of president and founder for whatever reason. So mm -hmm. how was that shift practically for you? I mean, was it as, as stark as moving from the, the big corner office at the top of the skyscraper into, you know, um, a, a sort of co-working space? Tell me what the differences were and how you dealt with that. <laughs> well, I, I was lucky enough that the um, company that I was coming to take over is owned by a holding company and we share services and we share offices so we uh, I do have a corner office with gorgeous window mm -hmm. still <laughs> so that's the, the beauty of it but uh, it wasn't that important as much as I had the excitement of um, being able to uh, come and build something uh, and rebuild something because I, I literally came in and um, pretty much restarted the company. Uh, I had to let go of everybody and restart it fresh, recreate it the, in, a, in a different way than what it was originally purchased for. And, and that really was, was thrilling. Of course, at first comes, uh, you know, the promise of, uh, of big fundings, because when you're in a startup mode, it was really a startup. Uh, you have and you have something that uh, is quite unique and also that people in an industry of growth you um, you have funding coming in um, so I did that for the first three months and really you know rapidly ramped up in three months and then COVID happened oh, wow. so that comes with this new and that's where you know what you're made of Honestly, I'll bet. I'll bet. you do the unthinkable, but then when you are in your new role of unthinkable, <laughs> then the unthinkable happens, right? So yeah, there's, there's no corporate guidebook for that, I don't think. That's not no. covered in most MBAs, I would imagine. What did you no. think were the the risks? What worried you? What were you um, you concerned about? There's a lot of risk. Well. The industry that I was stepping into, that's the first risk, not because of, um, you know, I, I mean, I know what I'm doing. I, I have wellness products that are derived from <laughs> hemp, so, but 
It's the stigma around it, right? You, you, even in your introduction, you associated it right away with marijuana. Marijuana for people is you smoke, you get high, you're a stoner or you're a drug dealer, right? So that's unfortunately uh, still a stigma in many people that, that have not understood what, how the, the plant has evolved and the benefit that you have that you can extract from the plant. Um, through the technology of today. But it's so also the part risk... of the allure. I mean, your company is called My Jane, which is clearly yeah. a play on Mary Jane, which is a, Absolutely. a 1960s, 70s kind of uh, slang for marijuana. So uh, totally. how are you balancing How are you using that whilst destigmatizing it? <laughs> with, through education, when being with uh, doctors, through events, through um, a lot of educational uh, segments that we try to uh, position and showing people what it really is, right? And um, when you have very credible medical doctors and researchers and, and studies that are being done and they openly uh, really try to educate the market and we're lucky because with hemp CBD now and, and being so popular in the United States there's a lot of education and a lot of people that are doing education so the stigma is fading but it's still a risk when you come in that you know what how much is going to affect your career if, if you fail um, and and uh, I could see that I have way way less likes <laughs> on uh, on posting on LinkedIn because people uh, still have the stigma to the point where they feel that if they actually find that what you're doing is great might be not well perceived by their boss or their so everybody start you know having these these fear and it it often you know you lose a lot of. Um, the interaction that you have with people uh, and uh, that's one risk um, the risk of losing friends but I haven't lost any friends so that's good but it came with a lot of explanations because obviously people had their preconceived ideas and um, and as I said you know if you fail and you don't succeed, um, then it's the risk of starting over again, but at a much older age than I was when I was in my 30s and my 40s. So it gets a little bit more complicated. Right. And I, I, I mean, I did know that, but I wanted you to say it because I... I yeah, think yeah, yeah. So yeah. No, no, I was think... close. I was, I was a few months away from being 60 years old. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's actually a really important part of this story because you've kind of done, right? You've reached a point that most people would go, I'm done now, I, I'm, I can retire. You had a huge job. <laughs> um, but that appetite to do more stuff, I think, is amazing. So for you, what are the, the rewards? You know, the risks are, it's a, ris you know, it's a risky industry, it's a growth industry, there's reputational risk, um, there's financial risk. What are the rewards for you having made this? The rewards... There's so much, so much. Uh, learning every day. You know, like I'm in an industry that is being, that, that is shaping. Think about when uh, wine and alcohol were just making it into an industry, right? You have everything to learn and so much every day that we learn is, is quite exciting. And this is something I did not have anymore into my past roles, right? When you become, when you're like 18 years in technology industry, you don't learn as much as you give. So you sort of give and give 
um, and uh, you don't have a lot of stimulation in, in, in exchange and that's something that is a big reward. The second reward is, like I said earlier, working into a small environment where everybody work, they all work hard like a startup mode and it's, that's really exciting because you just don't have, you know, literally you don't have hours, you don't have roles where, oh well, you insult someone if you go into the, their department telling them what to do. Everybody is just chipping in and that's such a, a great feeling when at the end of the day we decide that we're going to go for a happy hour when it reopens again. You really feel you deserve that happy hour like because you worked so hard and that's such a fun thing and I work with young people and that's really great because it keeps me you know, the higher up you are in hierarchy, the less you touch things, right? And now I get to, you know, touch everything in, in, in social media and digital marketing. and Everything is now much more hands-on than before. So therefore, I get the, um, the, all the little, infinite little things that make you knowledgeable in, in each of these things. I get to touch and feel it and hear it and, and, and experience it. And if it's not directly, it's with my team that's really, really close to me. So I get much more, I would say, as a reward, I am much more uh, acute in what's going on on the market and how things are done in digital marketing and social media than when I was even uh, head of the digital marketing uh, in uh, in some of the um, of the roles I had, right? So it's because you're you're really close to it. So that's really good. Do you and think then, large companies can learn something from that? I think so. I think so. If I think if, I've always told um, large corporations that they don't have enough incubators because in, this is like having. A startup company within a holding company is could be the same as having an incubator within large corporations, but they don't think that way, but they should have these little incubator companies that really just have so much, um, uh, I would say, have to do everything on their own and have to be so creative because they have to, you don't have a lot of means, so therefore you have to be extremely creative to make it happen. In my industry, it's even worse because think about it, we're not allowed to advertise, we're not allowed to um, advertise on Google or advertise on social media, so none of that is legal, even though hemp is legal, for instance, because they don't have yet the rules and regulations about, on it, for, for advertising, uh, they, they cannot accept advertising. So you have to be extremely creative to be able to grow your brand. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that you can only do when you do incubation of things. So I think that, yes, large corporations should learn a lot from having either incubation or also mixing, um, mixing teams sometimes, right? Just like putting disruptors into other teams that really make them think differently because homogeneous thinking is probably one of the biggest problem of large corporations. But it's very seductive because if you say something and everyone around the table agrees with you, you feel clever, you feel smart, and there's no real reason <laughs> to change your mind. Well, if you're in it for just for your ego, then, then yes, I agree. But if you're in it to really make something happen, 
then then it has to you you know you have to live with the discomfort discomfort of disruption not everything disruptive but with the discomfort of some disruption so how do you um you know within a a meeting or environment or an email or, or however you communicate amongst yourselves how do you make it safe um or reduce the risk to someone for example of challenging something that you're thinking or something that you've said as the president of the company that i think that's one of the problems is that there's not the channel the avenue for people to challenge um uh, you know or to be disruptive with particularly up the chain so uh, you know is there anything practical that you put in place to enable that i i think i i'm doing it exactly the way i've done it in all the corporations and that's what also helped me in everywhere i worked whether it's in asia whether it's in uh united states in canada uh i i always ran my team as if they think everything that i say is 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 the truth then then uh we're not doing it right right i'm uh, to me it's every time they're going to ask me something as if i have to tell them what to do i always say first i want to hear how you would do it and learn from it you know because mm. often they have a better idea we just finished a, a session uh, a 30 minutes before this this podcast and it was about um you know it was a, a, a true brainstorming session and i don't talk when there's a brainstorming session <laughs> i just want to i provoke but i want to listen to what they they have to say because i think they collectively we have a much brighter idea that's going to come out out of it and it did um then having homogeneous dictatorship good to know so um if i can summarize uh, briefly so um just a few months off from um your 60th birthday you made this leap from um very large corporate where you were very successful um to lead this um uh slightly troubled smaller business that you had to sort of come in and, and overhaul um and is now doing well um that sounds like a a a big jump a big leap a pretty unthinkable decision um mm-hmm. i'm hoping that other people listening to this podcast may be considering a decision like that for themselves so what would be your advice to them mm-hmm. well when when you do a bold risk you um risky move you uh you have all already extended yourself to the limit so don't go blindly into your other role without making it into another risk i prepare i always prepare so when i came in i did a 120 day plan that was extremely detailed on a weekly basis what am i going to do with the next for the next 120 days and just executed because when you are starting new and that applies to anything that you're starting new you're going to be in a discomfort zone where you're going to learn trying to understand you're going to be in a constant discomfort zone so you need to have something that you can rely on and fall on to really move forward because otherwise you're going to get distracted or you know you're going to get distracted by everything you hear by everything that people are telling you new if you have a plan and you follow it you're going to pull through and that's what i do i prepare and i always prepare a very detailed 120 days and then after that i prepare another very detailed three year plan and and then you know but the first i don't try to prepare the first three year plan when i'm right in the middle of learning in the first 2 3 months 
because that would definitely be the wrong plan. So that's how I do it. And I think that people need to just, first of all, make make a bold move in your life is not the end of the world it's the beginning of something fantastic but you just have to prepare so that your risk tolerance is well balanced with preparedness that is excellent advice and of course i'm going to add to that the making the sort of five-year personal plan about where you want to end up so that when those opportunities arise the decision is is part made sort of subconsciously because you've already decided you want to be in Asia or you want to move businesses or whatever. And I think that mm -hmm. on the personal level is, is super helpful as well. Um, yeah, Helen, you've been extremely candid. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Unthinkable is a Moore's Law Media production for Unventures, an unorthodox growth partner that helps people and businesses be value over form led to thrive in today's adaptive economy. It was hosted and produced by Neil Moore, executive produced by Dick Van Motman, and the production assistant was Nafilza Rahidi. Subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual places, and head to un-ventures.com for even more insights on how you can become more un. Um.